friends or families. And just a quick word that sometimes we speak to each other, and by the way, this is my daughter, Alexis. So I've got four kids. I've got four kids. They're all here somewhere, all spread out. My son is up here. You want to wave hello, Austin? I think they need to see more than the back of your head. Okay, very humble. And my, the other two are like babies. I don't know where they're at. Where are my babies? Oh, Kids Church. Okay, great, great. My daughter said, three-year-old said, does every church have Kids Church? As she was about to enter here, you know? And I said, I think most churches have Kids Church. Oh, she lit up. She was very happy that there's Kids Church. Ours is good, you know. I th I'm sure yours is good. But what, what we say is, in the family, it's very easy as you're living life. You watch the kids fight, you know, and they, they start blaming each other. Sometimes they'll, bl they'll use my name, you know, Papa said, and then they'll say what they, they want, you know. Papa said, Mama said. And then we sometimes get angry with them, and we, you know, use our emotions and things. And I, I'm just reminded, if we are ever going to build our family, we have to use the word. So when we teach and correct our kids, we have to bring the word of God to them. Otherwise, it's just our preference, our emotions, and that, I hope you know, that doesn't work. That doesn't work. If they won't change for the word of God, nothing else will. Right? If the word of God won't change us, then, then if we don't allow it to change us, then nothing else will. So we might as well go to the highest authority and start with the word. So when we correct our children, and I, you know, even if they're two or three, I still use the word. Our three-year-old's very verbal, so I, I, you know, she speaks like she's 10. But I'll talk to her because I believe the Bible's spiritual. Even if the mind may not receive everything, I'll just use the word. And I'll say, you know, sweetie, the Bible says this, Ephesians 6, children, obey your parents and the Lord for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Do you want it to go well with you? Every kid says yes. Do you want to live long? Every kid says yes. Well, this is how. You need to learn honor. Honor is everything. You know that? Our society has no more honor. I wish I could teach about honor, but this is not the sermon today. But er every sin is a sin of dishonor. Every sin, every commandment you break is a, uh, is a dishonor. Every promotion in life comes from someone you honored. Not because you're so good, we're so good. Every promotion in life comes from someone you honor. Every demotion in life, every pain comes from someone we dishonor. If we teach our children honor, we taught them enough. You don't have to teach anything else. Just teach them honor. The rest they can figure out, just like you and I had to figure out. But we have to teach honor. So it comes from the Bible, and so we'll, we'll read the Bible, and then, and then we will meet out the discipline that's necessary. But we don't do the discipline first or out of emotion. We've got to depend on the Word of God. So today, everything that we talk about has to be based in the Word of God. And if it's in the Word of God and, and you believe it, receive it, you'll be transformed. And if you question it, you're skeptical, you doubt it, then nothing else will change you anyway, so I'm just going to give you the Word. Does that make sense? 
Amen. Sounds good. Paul is such an encourager. I just want to say a quick word about Paul because I've done three trips to Saudi Arabia, lead tours to Israel, Jordan. I do mission trips in, uh, in fact, I think if I count correctly, we've been to 48 countries already. So some places multiple times, you know, like uh, Thailand, Japan, Indonesia, Malaysia, we just go over and over. And um, I expect to give when I, when I go. I expect to um, answer people's questions, especially if they come on tour with me. They, they join up with me because I'm the tour leader, so they want to learn from me. They want to ask questions about Saudi Arabia, Mount Sinai, Elim, the Red Sea crossing, and all that. And so I'm, I'm happy to do that. But I think... As far, I hope my memory is correct, you know, we, we sometimes, but I think my memory is correct that I can't recall any trip I took where somebody ministered to me, and that's what Paul did. I, d I just don't recall that, and I, I don't complain about that, it's my job, I'm supposed to minister to other people. But Paul was there, very hungry as a sponge, still learning, you know, he has a lot of experience in the Word. But he also spent the time to minister to me, to the others in the team. And I noticed that. I thought, wow, that's really impressive. And I think because of that, I'm standing here today. We're here at, at this church today, and we get to know each other today. I did escape Danistan. I don't know if you heard about Danistan. It's a country that Chairman Dan rules, the state of Victoria. You missed that one, huh? Danistan. And I, I want to teach you that the subject of today is about justice. And I, if I start saying all that's in my heart and in my experience, it will shock you. I'm going to start out with a shocker. I think you, you won't even understand this, but we prayed for Chairman Dan. We prayed for him to repent. We prayed for him to stop doing what he did and basically sell Victoria out to China that's what he's doing he just took a trip to China totally unaccountable on our taxpayer money we don't know what he did that that shouldn't be right yeah I don't have to be an expert in law or politics that isn't right you're supposed to represent us so we prayed for him and he didn't repent so we prayed justice over him and that's when he fell it was exactly at that time it was within days I don't know the number of days remember the fall and then people say that he, he tripped over some stairs, and we learned later the stairs were like this tall. So it's something else happened, in my view. He met with God's he heavy hand of justice. But I don't think we prayed enough. We gave him a lot of chances. So we have to go back to pray, praying for him that he would be an... You know, if you're a politician, if you're a leader, you're supposed to be an extension of God's kingdom. You're an agent of God's justice on the earth. And if you abuse that power, there is accountability. And God watches over this. But the question that I want to answer today is this. A problem or a question that we must answer in order for us to grow in, in the kingdom of God, in our role in the kingdom, is we do have to answer this one question that nags everybody. Sometimes we, we, we ask, we wonder, is God really fair? Is God really just? that's the polite way to say it there are less polite ways that people say it and people really accuse God and say that you have been unjust can you imagine the very person who created morality created the Ten Commandments the best foundation for civilization 
is accused not only outside the church but inside the church every day I probably say every hour of every day of being unjust and everybody of course thinks that they have a case and that they have a exceptional um, pain or suffering that justifies this thought and we cannot fulfill our destiny in the kingdom of God which is ultimately to be like Christ to be agents of justice on the earth to be co-regents with God right do you know this Do you know that we're called to a very high destiny we're not called just to be sinners saved by grace do you know that he calls you kings and priests unto our God do you ever think about that you're a king you're a queen what high position what high status that is and what does a king do in the Bible a king does a lot more than a prime minister or a president the power is nearly absolute your words matter your judgments matter so but we have to practice this and we practice it in the home we have to be just parents we have to be just siblings we have to be just spouses and we practice it in the church but today I'm gonna go real basic I gotta start out real basic and then if you care for it there are books and DVDs that might help you in this topic but the real basic question is we can't even go forward in this area that we're called to until we answer the question is God unjust is he sometimes unjust when I arrived here and I was just here for has it been a day two days okay so just just here for really a few hours uh, I was in a shopping center is it called Ka Kawa Kawana Kawana sounds like Hawaii I, live, I arrived here and I thought, wow, this is like a different country, literally. And, and you're called to be in this paradise. You are so blessed. You live in paradise over here. And I was in Kawana Shopping Center. And I was just, my wife gave me some, sent me some texts, you know, honey, dear, get me this, get me this, get me this for the kids, for myself. So I'm there standing in line getting, getting some stuff. And this big guy, big guy came next to me and, he, and he's ordering Asian food, right? So we're in this Asian stall and, and he's ordering Asian food. He's not Asian. And he says, I, I want no rice and no noodle. The lady could not understand. I'm telling you, like if, even if she understood English 100%, it made no sense. He's looking at this one. He said, I like that soup, but no noodle. And she said, rice? Okay, you have it with rice? And he said, no rice, no noodle. Ah, okay with noodle and he said no rice and he just could not communicate to this lady it made no sense so I said I think he means he wants no carb no carb at all and she looked at me no carb no carb at all I said yes and he says to me I'm fasting I said oh you open the door for me you're fasting I'm gonna start preaching and sharing no fa I said are you fasting for your body or are you fasting for the Lord he said, well, I'm just fasting to lose some weight. <laughs> and he starts opening up and talking. I don't know how we finally got to it, but he said he, he's got an old boss that was a Christian. I said, what do you mean was a Christian? He said, well, he was, he was like, you know, a, a strong Christian, but he doesn't go to church anymore. I said, well, what happened to him? What hurt him? Obviously, something got him angry. 
What is it? And 99.9% and is somebody starts thinking God is unjust. And sure enough, sure enough, he said, well, his wife got this form of cancer, and it was an aggressive brain cancer. And he really served God, and he sang for God, and he was even well-known. Now, this guy, mind you, this guy telling me is not a Christian. And he's concerned that his Christian former boss left the church. Can, can we agree God is doing something in Australia? When the unbelievers are concerned, the Christians have stopped going to church. We're in trouble, right? And he's like, I really want to see him go back to church. I said, well, tell him Ignite Church and tell him that we're here. And, and he said, I got I to gotta give you his number, and I want you to talk to him. I said, well, I'm not sure that I can just cold call somebody I've never met, but you can tell him to come over here. But just the concern, and, and the point was it, it confirmed what is going on in Australia and around the world is that the devil has seeded the church with the thought that God is unjust. And, and why did this lady then have cancer? And why did she ultimately die? Well, you wouldn't expect any doctor to better give you that answer, right? If you just said, I'm sure there are doctors here in this room. If I asked you, how many doctors or nurses are in this room, please? Nurses and doctors. Okay, we got one, two, three, four. Okay, five. Can you tell me why she died? No, of course not. Not a single qualified doctor can. Because a doctor would say, I'd have to read up on the case. I'd have to either meet the person before they die, or that I'd have to check on them, read their history, and then I might be able to come up with a diagnosis. Now, that's no different than a pastor, no different than a minister, than you as a Christian. If we could go through and check every case, there's always a reason, there's always something going on we can find out. Most of the time I can find out, I'll share with you one of the stories, but I want to share more of the Word of God before we get into the stories. So the point is, whether we're here in Queensland, in Victoria, anywhere in the world, this question has to be answered. Is God unjust? Now the Bible says, Deuteronomy 32 verse 4, that he is the rock. 32 verse 4. Please write it down or memorize it if you have a very good memory. Otherwise, writing helps. Deuteronomy 32 verse 4. He is the rock. His work is perfect. His work is perfect. How so? For all his ways are justice. This is in the King James Version. You might read other versions that say his ways are judgment or whatever it says. But in the New King James, it says his ways are justice. All his ways are justice. A God of truth without injustice, righteous and upright is he. He wants you to know he has no injustice in him. And all of his ways are justice. All of his ways. All the things are inexplicable. Like if you were the original 11 apostles, well, minus Judas, and you watch Jesus, your, your leader, getting beaten and brutalized, you would say at that moment, hey, where's God? This, this is an anointed minister of God. We think he's the Messiah, the Savior of the world. And here he is, left to himself, getting beaten to a pulp. His skin is ripping off him as, as they're flogging him with these, these whips with shards of metal and bones. And he's being destroyed. 
where is God the Father? And it gets worse. He goes up to the cross, and you think maybe, you know, the Muslims say that at the cross, Allah rescued him by deceiving all the people there and switching faces or putting Judas on the cross. I think they said they put Judas on the cross and they, and they switch face, which makes God a deceiver. So then he's not God, he's the devil. So we don't believe that. We believe Jesus went to the cross and, and, he's, and you would hope that at some point God the Father is going to intervene in this. And he doesn't. And Jesus really breathes his last and says, into your hand I commend my spirit. And he's gone. And you would think, what have I been doing for three and a half years? I left my business. I left my fishing boat. I left my family. I followed the, the one that was supposed to be the Messiah. And it's all for naught. And that's what they thought. Literally, the Bible says they went back fishing. That's not like having a holiday in Noosa fishing. That's, I give up the ministry. This is over. My trade was fishing. I'm back to becoming a fisherman. That's what was going on in their mind. It just seems completely inexplicable until you realize all his ways are justice. What is this about? God is satisfying his justice by allowing himself, allowing his son, to receive the just punishment for all our sins. That if he did not suffer that punishment, and if he did not die, he could not pay for all of our sins. But it only makes full sense after the Gospels are recorded, and then the Pauline epistles are written down, and then the Gospel... You know, do you realize that even the apostles did not fully understand the Gospel? And Paul really got a revelation of what the Gospel is about, and the Gospel was not just for the Jews, it was for all the world to be saved. But it took a lot of time. But in the end, today, there is not a single Christian of any denomination or in any country that questions why did Jesus suffer and die. We say that was God's justice. It was a just thing. He couldn't just let sin go, but he could allow his son to suffer on behalf of those who would receive him as their savior, as the payment for our sins. Is he just? Completely just, but it took a bit of time to understand. But believe this, that all his ways are justice. And there is no unrighteousness, no injustice in God, no matter how much pain you've gone through. I've gone through pain. I've gone through things that just would make your, your head and your world spin. Why? Why did it happen? But if you wait long enough, there is an answer. It doesn't come instantly sometimes. I like it when it comes instantly. But it doesn't always come instantly. Just like when we are parenting kids, they don't always get us. And they cannot. Sometimes you say, this is the way, and you just can't explain anymore to a kid. And all you, you know is, when you grow up, you're going to understand. Isn't that how you feel? And how much more is God the Father, our parent to us? And there's just some things where you will understand when you grow up. Just don't quit growing up. Don't quit on God. Don't be like the, the, you know, the wonderful Christian singer that I haven't met yet, but he, he left church for a while. We're going to pray for him to come back. I can't say his name and all that in case he's famous enough that you know him, so I, I don't want to say that. All right, go with me also. Psalm 97, verse 2. 97, verse 2. 
And if you're writing it down, you might as well write 89 verse 14 because they're parallel. They say almost the same thing. Psalm 97 verse 2 says, Clouds and darkness surround him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. We thought it's just righteousness. We thought it's just love. It doesn't say that. If we today wrote the Bible, we'd say love is the foundation of his throne. That's the way it's been presented. This is the Aussie version of the gospel. The foundation of God's throne is mercy for me, grace for me, love for me, forgiveness for me, everything good for me. Jesus is my friend. That's it. But the other side of Jesus being judge, being impartial, being the lawgiver, being the, the returning ruler, this side is rarely presented. We almost hide a part of Jesus from the world. We don't want you to see this side of Jesus. But this side existed in the gospel and after in the book of Acts. You see this side of Jesus. So we need a balanced view, okay? One more scripture just to substantiate this, okay? In Proverbs chapter 2, it talks about how we will need wisdom. We will need to grow in wisdom to be able to receive this word. This is not a... a this is not basic Christianity anymore. Although I'm going to give it to you in a very gentle, basic way. But ultimately, this is the, the highest level of faith that you can have. When you have faith for justice over the entire nation, that's the biggest level of faith. Not just me and my needs, me and my electricity bills, me and my uh, kids' tuition fees. This is, I'm praying justice over my nation. Can that happen? How do you think the Roman Empire fell? The Christians got fed up with it, and finally they said, no, we cry out for justice. They're unrepentant. The, the Caesars persecuted us, and the persecution's coming. This is why the Lord sent me to teach you this. What's the antidote to the persecution? It's not, well, bless Dan Andrews and bless the wicked people who abort babies and want to abort babies after birth. How can you say, bless those people? Because your blessing matters. At some point, you have to understand that you are making peace with evil. You are giving unsanctified mercy to people who are stubbornly, persistently, unrepentantly wicked. There's always a day for mercy. There's always a chance. But if you per persistently abuse others, is there a remedy? There is in the Bible. I'll show it to you. But first, we cannot minister this, we cannot even believe God for this, if we ourselves are unjust. I put it this way, you must stand in the fire that you call down. You must be able to stand in the fire that you call down. Remember John asked, can we call down fire? And Jesus says, not yet, not yet. He didn't say never, because later, when the two witnesses come, they call down fire, and that's under the new covenant. The day is coming soon when Christians will be able to call down fire. But not if we are unloving, unmerciful, unjust. We've got to get love correct. We've got to get righteousness right. We've got to get grace right. And we've got to be pure and clean ourselves. But what for? What's all this for? Preparation for you and I to call down fire. We will not allow them to persistently abuse the children, to cut off their genitals, to give them hormones that, tr that transforms them out of the image of God. The, the, the legalization of child abuse is what's coming. And the illegalization of Christianity is what's coming. 
And if you're not aware of this, how can we be witnesses in the end time? If we can't access the throne of justice, there is no hope for us to be witnesses in the end time. You read how they are witnesses in the book of Revelation. They call down justice at the right moment, at the right time. This is not something trite, not something trivial we just throw around, but I'm, I've seen it over and over now in our ministry, in our life, that I know that this is biblical and this works. But we need to lay a foundation. So first of all, we gotta, we got to settle this question. God is never unjust. All his ways are justice. And there are four things that will help you to understand this. At least they help me. So please start writing them down. Number one, who is in charge of the world? Who is in charge of the world? I know very famous ministers, wonderful ministers. They got TV ministries. One just passed away. I don't know if you know him. He just passed away. And he, his last message uh, was on YouTube or Facebook or something like that. And, and somebody sent it to me. And he said, just remember God is in control of everything. I said, wow, imagine if you're not a Christian. And you say, God is in control of everything. Well, he sure made a mess of everything. That's how a sinner thinks. I understand if you're a Christian, you can accept that kind of word. And I understand the, the spirit with which he says it. But imagine you don't know God. And a Christian tells you that God is in control of the hurricanes. He's in control of the earthquake that killed 60,000 people in Turkey. He's in control of this Christian singer's wife getting brain tumor. And he's in control of everything. I want you to be, be cured of this, if you can ever be cured of this, by the word of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, I will read at verse 3 first. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. So who's the God of this world? Satan. Satan. The Bible says in the New Testament, the God that is in charge of this world is Lucifer. How then do we go around saying God is in control of this world? When the New Testament says the God of this world is Satan. And he's actively blinding the minds and eyes of people that we're trying to reach with the gospel. So this is not true. I, it's kind of a comforting Christian, what do we call it? Like a placebo. It's a Christian placebo. I couldn't say it any better. It's a Christian placebo because we can't be bothered to quote the Bible. We quote something softer. Now, is this really true? Can we, can we really say Satan is the God of this world based on one scripture? Usually we don't like that. We like to have two or three scriptures. Now, I'll give you more, but I'll give you, give you a second one. Luke chapter 4. Do you remember the temptation of Jesus? He was tempted three times. At least it was recorded three of them. And the Bible says this. Verse 5 of chapter 4 in Luke. Then the devil taking him up on a high mountain showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. I don't know which mountain... When we go to Israel, we'll show you one mountain that people think it is. But I think it might be Mount Sinai. Because everything started there, and I think everything's going to end there. 
That's why we go up there. There's something special about that place. Moses was called to go there. Elijah ran away up there. Paul was there when he got the revelation of Jesus Christ. And another Paul also went there. And I think everyone who goes there just, just senses something unusual about that place. So he, he goes up on a high mountain. We don't know which one. And he shows Jesus all the kingdoms of the world. Now listen to what he said. And the devil said to him, All this authority I will give you and their glory, for this has been delivered to me. And I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you will worship me, all, all what? All the kingdoms of this world, all the nations of this world, everything on this planet, you, it can be yours without going to the cross or doing, you know, devil wasn't sure yet what he's going to do, but without much pain. I'll give it to you. Now that's called a temptation of Christ. Jesus was tempted with this offer. So my question is, how could this be a real temptation if Satan did not own the world? How would Jesus feel tempted if Jesus knew, wait a second, Satan, you're a liar. You're not in charge of this world. You got nothing in this world. God owns everything. Well, if God owns everything, why did Jesus come? Didn't he come to take back what was taken from Adam and Eve? So who delivered all the planet to Satan? Our forefather, Adam and Eve. That's how it happened. That's why you got to read the whole Bible. The whole thing makes sense when you read. By the way, I was born in Thailand. I was born in one of the strongest uh, practicing Buddhist countries in the world. Everything that I say did not, was not passed down to me by my Christian parents. Everything that I preach, everything that I believe, I had to search up in the Bible. I had to look it up for myself. I, I think it's wonderful to grow up in a Christian home. My kids are growing up in a Christian home. There's an advantage to that. But sometimes you get complacent. Sometimes you think, oh, that's just what's said and everybody knows. No, no almost nobody on the planet knows this. If you go to Thailand and say, who created Thailand? Never even thought about it. Who created Asia? Who created Australia? Who created the Pacific Ocean? Who created Pluto? No idea. Nobody knows. You and I are taking for, taking for granted knowledge that is like kept secret since the, the since ages we have something so precious so we need to dig a little bit we need to search the word of god all right so number one who is in charge of the world the bible says clearly satan is this really helps me to understand that god is just and that god is not doing all these evil things which the insurance companies call acts of god they're not acts of god when queensland gets a flood they're not acts of god right sometimes acts of nature sometimes it's reaping and sowing sometimes it's it's satan depends on on the case all right number two is this helpful by the way okay all right number two thing that helps me is i want to know the answer to this question what is the origin of sickness where does sickness come from this helps me to, to answer, is God unjust? And I'll give you a few scriptures, okay? Acts chapter 10, verse 38. Acts 10, verse 38 says this. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, 
who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. So the book of Acts calls sickness satanic oppression. Satanic oppression. Sickness is satanic oppression. And God anointed Jesus, God the Son, God the Father anointed God the Son with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good. What's good? Healing all who were oppressed of the devil. So we need to be clear. Sickness is satanic oppression, and Jesus comes to heal. Now, why doesn't everybody get healed? Well, you can ask a doctor that. Why doesn't everybody get healed? And no doctor will give you an answer. The doctor will say, I need to look at it case by case. Well, if you give that much chance to a, a doctor, why don't you give a chance to God? It's going to take time to explain every case, but usually there's an explanation. All right, Luke chapter 13, there's another one. Luke chapter 13, there's a woman who's bound by, well, it says that she was bowed over and she was sick for a long time. And Jesus comes along and heals this woman. The religious people get mad. And then he says this in chapter 13, verse 16. Please write it down, okay? Please. Otherwise, you will forget it. Writing helps you remember. It's like when you go to school and the teacher's talking. You know who's going to pass the exam? The students that are taking notes. And there are students who won't take any notes, and then the, the exam time comes, and then they fail. Right? When you take notes, you're saying, this is so important. I, I really want to hear you, God, and I'm going to remember this and put this to practice. Luke chapter 13, verse 16 says, Jesus answered, So ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound? Who bound her? Satan has bound, think of it, for 18 years. Be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath. So sickness is called satanic bondage in Luke. Satanic oppression in Acts, satanic bondage in Luke, and Jesus says, I've come to loosen the bonds, so Satan bound, God looses. Never, you never see any other example. You say, well, Pastor Steve, what about the book of Job? Oh, I'm so glad you mentioned that, because that's even clearer. That's like the clearest one. Job chapter, well, we'll start at the beginning and at the end so that you know clearly. And I could do an hour on Job. I could do five hours on Job, but we won't do that today. Job, a lot of people are offended. Man, I've had some heated conversations with unbelievers about Job. They are offended by God. They don't want to go to church. And you say, why? And I remember this conversation in Houston, Texas. Oh, man, the man was a Ph.D. So he had studied, and he thought he really knew. He thought, look at the book of Job, he said. Look at what God did to Job. God is an unjust God. He literally said those words out. And I said, maybe you don't, don't understand the book of Job. Oh, wow, he's so offended. You know, PhD guy. Mind you, not PhD in theology. He's PhD in geology. But he thought he really knew. And I showed him just one verse, and he couldn't answer it. A lot of times people think they know, but they don't know like they should know. You know, you need time. You need to take time and a bit of humility to see it. Okay, so Job chapter 2. Here's one thing that you'll see. Uh, verse 7. So uh, Job is sick. Who made Job sick? Thank you. The Bible says that very clearly. Satan. Verse 7. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with painful boils from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. Does it say God did that? 
No. It doesn't even say God allowed it. A lot of people say this, God allowed it. He did not say that. He said, lo, behold, he is in your hand. Meaning what? Already in your hand. Something happened in this story that Job had opened a door and Satan had already had access to him. Now, what are the things? What are the things that, that allow Satan to come in? There are plenty of things. The Bible says in the New Testament, give no place to the devil. Be angry and sin not. Well, can anger open the door to the devil? You better believe it. When you get enraged, there is another presence in the room. You've seen people get enraged on the road? There's somebody else there behind the wheel. So there are things that open. The occult opens doors to the devil. Rage and anger opens the door to the devil. Lots of things do. Did you know fear and worry opens the door to the devil? See, we don't get an amen on that one usually. Because everybody's like, oh, a little worry is okay. It's like a little sin is okay. You think that? Just a little sin is okay. No, if worry and, and fear are sins, and they are, they're anti-faith. They're showing we doubt God. What, what is more hurtful to a parent than your child won't even trust you? Your child doubts you. And what do you say? I've been on this earth for 40 years, 50 years. And I, you try to tell them that. Well, God said, I've been around for eternity. Give me a little trust. So doubt is a very serious thing. Doubt would take you to hell. That's how serious it is. And doubt can open the door to the devil. The Bible says within chapter 1 that Job had a lot of fear that his children were wayward and disobedient. Now, we, we won't unpack all of that. We'll just leave you with some thoughts. But something's going on in that family. And that wife, that wife that told him, just curse God. Something is going on with that marriage. This is not a sanitized version of Job, okay? This is real. Job had some family problems. But we won't get into that right now. Job chapter 42. Let's see how it ends. Let's see how it ends. Verse 10 of chapter 42. The Bible says, The Lord, so here's the Lord. The Lord didn't make him sick, but when the Lord comes, he makes him well. The Lord turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. Also the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. If you don't know the story, Job was the richest man of the Middle East. He goes through about eight or nine months of pain and suffering, terrible. And then he comes out of it blessed twice as much as before. So when people say, I'm, I guess I'm just like Job, then you have to get healed and you have to get rich. Because Job got healed and then he got twice as rich. And he was already the richest guy. So imagine he's Elon Musk of the day. And he's, he's got like two Tesla companies, two SpaceX companies at the end of it. What else is he doing? Two boring companies at the end of it, not just one of each. That's filthy rich, right? We would say. That's mega, mega rich. So why do people not see this? It's right there in the Bible. It says, he turned the captivity of Job. Let me read it, the New King James. It says, and the Lord restored the Job's losses when he prayed for his friends. Indeed, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. So sickness is called satanic captivity in the book of Job. Are you convinced yet? As far as the Bible is concerned, the Bible says sickness is satanic bondage, satanic captivity, satanic oppression. And every time God shows up, people get healed. 
We do not have any instance where Jesus shows up and he says, I bless you with hemorrhoids. You, you're not humble enough. I, I want to bless you with ulcers. That will really teach you to be close to God. Now, I'm not making fun of people who are sick, and then they say, you know, I spent the time in the hospital to read the Bible, and I feel so close to God. Well, isn't that good? But what you're saying is, when you weren't sick, you didn't bother to read the Bible. So we commend you, but we cannot excuse you. We cannot say, to read the Bible, everybody must go to the hospital. That would be a terrible theology, right? Although you can go to the hospital and be a wonderful witness and get close to God and share your faith to a nurse, and that's wonderful. But you can't build a theology on that. You can't say everybody in the world, God wants to make sick so that they can just get close to God. That's just your experience. We have to go by the word of God. Amen? All right, so second thing that helps me is to know where sickness comes from. So that way, I have no doubt. If there's any sickness, I say, okay, this is the enemy at work. Now let's find the solution. Right? But if you sometimes think, God is blessing me right, with this pain, then you're not going to respond proactively and positively and biblically. All right, number three, this is a tough one, but you don't know everything. Number three, you don't know everything. I don't know everything. I don't have all knowledge. The Bible says so in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the love chapter. The Bible says this. Are you there, by the way, or are you just listening to me? You're here? Okay. The Bible says this. When I was a child, I spoke as a child, I understood as a child, and I thought as a child. When I became a man, I put away childish things. For now I see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, you know something, but you know in part. But then I shall know just as I also am known. The New International Version says we see only a reflection as in a mirror. The Berean Bible says we presently see through a glass in obscurity. The Amplified, if you like it longer, it says this. For now, in this time of imperfection, you have to accept we live in a time of imperfection. It's just for a short time. We're going to live for all eternity with no pain, no imperfection. But we're living on this earth right now because this is an experiment that we asked for. I hope you understand that. We have asked for a world where God is not in control. We have asked for a world where we can do what we want and we don't get punished right away. We asked for that. And if we didn't have that, we'll be asking forever. We'll be asking for all eternity. So God says, have it your way. I'll give you a few years of everybody doing their own thing. Then at the end, we'll have a chat on Judgment Day. See how it goes. So you have your way. This is not God's way. This world is not God's way. God did not put up these lights. You, ch you chose the lights. God did not choose the seats. You chose the seats. When he does it, he might do it differently. I don't know. But everybody got their own choice right now. You put on your own clothes. God did not choose the clothes for you. You did everything your way. Right? And God says, this is what the world will look like when everybody, collectively, eight billion of us, do our own thing. And a few of us have said, you know what, I'm a bit tired of doing it my own way. It doesn't seem to work. God, tell me, what would you like? What's your plan? Not my will, but your will be done. But you do realize this is less than 1% of the entire human population. I, I don't even think most of the church prays this prayer. 
right? We say, God, I have a lot of plans, I have a lot of dreams, would you bless my plan? Would you bless my business? Never even ask, am I supposed to be in business? Am I supposed to be doing this with this business partner? We rarely even ask, and that's okay, this is the age where we get to prove this. So we know in part, we understand in part. So in this time of imperfection, for now, in this time of imperfection, we see in a mirror dimly, a blurred reflection, a riddle, an enigma. But then, when the time of perfection comes, we will see reality face to face. Wow. Okay, one more version. God's Word says, Now we see a blurred image in a mirror. Then we will see very clearly. Now my knowledge is incomplete. That's not a confession that you, you make a lot. My knowledge is incomplete. No matter how much you think you know, your knowledge is incomplete. Then I will have complete knowledge as God has complete knowledge of me. So I'll give you an example, okay? I was up in Japan preaching, and I was a, you know, green minister. How green? Um, don't, didn't even finish Bible school yet. I'm like in the middle of Bible school. And I preach in five countries. I started in Fiji, in Australia, in, then I went to Indonesia, Thailand. I ended up in Japan. And in Japan... I went to this church that's pretty happening, Pentecostal. I won't say the place or the name. Try to, try to keep people's privacy. And the pastor's wife was in a wheelchair and sick. And everybody said, oh, you, you know, you preach a great sermon, and, and you got to pray for our pastor's wife. you got to pray for her to be healed. And I got to check in my spirit, even though I'm a very new preacher. I, I felt to ask, well, how many people have already prayed for her? Wow, the list of famous names that have come through Japan. Because back then the churches were not big, so you, you know, if you're famous, you've got to go to this church. And, and all these famous evangelists and pastors had already laid hands on her, and she was no better. So I knew, hey, I'm just Pastor Steve. You know, I'm just Steve. But what, if, I, if, they do, if they couldn't get her healed... I need to now diagnose. I need to check what's going on. So I pulled her aside, and I said, can I ask you something? And this is the pastor's wife, right? I said, do you want to be healed? She said, can we go aside? So not in front of the church. So like this, we're right here in front of the church. We go all the way to the back in a private room. And she said to me, we have been in Japan. She's American. It's an American couple planted this church in a city in Japan. And she said, we've been here for 20 years. I'm so tired of Japan. I have no dignified way to get out of this place. So we, we're going to tell the church that I have to receive treatment in Texas. And we're never coming back. And you can't tell anyone. I said, oh, that's fine. I won't tell anyone. I came back out of that, and I didn't pray for her. I didn't lay hands on her because I knew it would be laying empty hands on empty heads. But people do it sometimes, but I don't. Because I had diagnosed the situation, and I knew the secrets of her heart, what's really going on. Now, this person is so famous. If I tell this story, everybody in Japan knows. So I've never said the name, and I've tried, I always try to hide the story. But till this day, this has been almost 20 years, till this day, people tell a lie on God and say, God took her away to heaven because she went to Texas, got the treatment, and died. But all the Christians in Japan to this day will say, we just don't know why she served God so faithfully, such a wonderful Christian. God just decided 
not to heal her. God decided to t pluck this flower and bring her to heaven. And this is the platitudes, I think it's the word I was looking for. These are the Christian platitudes that we give to each other because we know in part and our knowledge is incomplete. And as far as I know, I'm the only person on earth that knows the real story. And I don't know if her husband's alive anymore because it's been a long time. And you carry these things as, minis as ministers of the gospel and you hear these stories. And by the way, I'm, I'm the type of person, I don't know if doctors and lawyers are the same, but if you tell me a story and you say, don't tell anyone, I don't tell my wife. My wife doesn't know. Nobody, you know, people, Christians are like, don't tell anyone. Well, anyone but my wife. I can tell my wife. My wife's like anyone but my best friend. And it goes on and on. And this is the Christian grapevine. So I tell it because I know you don't know. I'm not going to do any damage to that particular church in Japan. But it, it, does this help you to understand that we just simply don't know the details of every case? But if we can get to it, we would see what God sees. And God is just to do things the way he did it. He could have forced healing. I guess I could have said, I smack you with healing. I, smack you. I'm, I refuse your will. I refuse to accept your desire to go back to, to the United States. You must get healed so that I look like a good evangelist or preacher. Because we got to have healing. But you didn't want the healing. Why would God violate that? So he didn't. He didn't. The Bible says this in Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. But those things which are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. God keeps secrets. God keeps secret. Your secrets. Isn't that nice? When you tell him something, God keeps secrets. And sometimes we just won't be able to get to the bottom of some people's issue because God himself will keep the secret from you he respects you that much you have a an ego boundary you have a, a, a you have an independent personality that God respects and if it's something between you and him he won't even share it my Bible teacher was Kenneth Hagin anyone know Kenneth Hagin I studied with Kenneth Hagin he laid hands on me ordained me to the ministry and his sister was sick. Actually, another one was his son-in-law. I'll tell you his son-in-law, Buddy. Buddy got sick, and Buddy's the publisher of faith books. You think, well, how can the publisher of all of these faith and healing books that bless so many people around the world, how could the publisher get sick? And Brother Hagen has very subtle way, I guess. He's not a talkative person. If you don't know this, this man of God, he was a very non-talkative person. He, he barely talked. And when he says something, he says it almost like passingly, and you got to catch it. Because he's, he was just maybe that generation. Didn't talk a lot, and when he said something, you need to read between the lines. But this was a big deal for the student body and for the whole faith community at that time like why is this famous person who believes in healing sick and during one of the they called it a camp meeting during one of the meetings brother Hagen just said buddy sowed too many carnal seeds buddy sowed too many carnal seeds he left it at that and buddy died 
It didn't damage his faith. He didn't have to explain it away like God killed him. God didn't want to heal him. He just said, buddy sowed too many carnal seeds. What does that mean? I don't know, but thank God we don't know. Thank God God keeps secrets. But just so you know, the kind of seeds that, I'm not, I'm not saying it about Buddy, but I'm saying it about another instance. Brother Hagen one time was praying about who to marry. And there was this girl that was like recommended and set up and she was beautiful and all that. And Brother Hagen was praying and God opened, he said while he was praying, it was like God opened a curtain and she was in the back seat of a car with another boy. And the rest you can read between the lines. He didn't marry her. So thank God he keeps some secrets, but sometimes he will reveal secrets. And for the sake of his, the, the direction of his ministry, God would not allow him to marry that girl. And that was it. And then he married Aretha and was married for like 70 years. So God keeps secrets. You, it's, you're not entitled to know all the secrets, but if you are positioned there, you're the person to minister, you may see, you may get revelation of the secret. All right. I'll give you one more story. Are we okay? We're probably almost done, yeah? Okay. I, I, I will wrap up. Okay. So let me give you a good side, a good story. My uncle, I led him to the Lord down in Melbourne. I led him to the Lord. In fact, it was the same trip as the Japan trip. I did five nations, and on that trip, my uncle and aunt, who were, one was Buddhist, one was Catholic, they got saved. And they started walking with God. They came to my church uh, down in Melbourne. And my uncle came to Australia from Thailand to study uh, accounting. He's a very good accountant, and he had a good job. And, and, but he had a colleague at this company that didn't like him. And this guy just made his life hell and would just sabotage him and try to make him look bad in front of the boss. And finally, it got so out of hand that it just drove him out of his job. And because he's out of a job, he went looking you know, for a job nearby. He found there was a listing for an accountant to do the payroll for the police. The police headquarter there was right next to his house, so he didn't have to travel anymore. He got a job closer to his home. The pay was better. So he got a job closer to home, the pay's better, and you know what happened? In 12 months, that company retrenched everybody. They went bankrupt. My uncle said, if he met this guy who caused him so much trouble, if he ever met this guy again on the street, he would walk up to him and say, thank you. What you did was the best thing that happened to me. You see, it, it takes time. It takes time to see the justice of God. Our heart is set on this is what we want. This is the best job we can get. This is the best, I don't know, boyfriend, girlfriend we can get. And God says, well, maybe it is, or maybe I have something better. And if you just wait it out and believe that God is just, that there is no unrighteousness, no iniquity, no injustice in him, then all things will work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Your only condition is just maintain the love. Don't question God. Don't point your finger at God. Don't accuse him because if there's anybody in the world that's completely blameless, it's Jesus. You must believe that. He is absolutely blameless. And when it all is wrapped up, no one will point a finger 
at Jesus or at God the Father, we will be hanging our head in shame at how much mercy and grace we got. We got far less than we deserve, far less punishment than we deserve, and far more blessings than we deserve. Did I say I was going to say three things? I did. Fourth thing to help you. This is very quick. Jesus and the devil never switch sides. Jesus and the devil never, ever switch sides. We don't find this. Like I said, we never see the devil coming to heal, and we never see Jesus coming to make sick. Never happens in the entire Bible. John chapter 10, verse 10 is our go-to scripture for this. John 10, verse 10. The thief, this is Jesus' name for Satan. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. So Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus comes to give life and life more abundantly. Abundant life. So you choose. If you're not in abundant life, you're not in abundant peace, you need to come over to Jesus' side. If something is stealing from you and destroying your life, destroying your peace, your family, your finance, this is demonic. We need to say no to the occult, to whatever we're following, and say yes to Jesus. Amen? Amen. All right, we started off with the, with the family. I'm going to end with the family, okay? Last story. Last story. We were up in Saudi Arabia. Again, you don't know who was there, so I'm going to tell a story on somebody. But there was a sister who was there, and she told me, you know, everybody likes to have time with, it's almost like counseling in Saudi Arabia. They get pastoral care and counseling in Saudi Arabia. And that's fine. That's good. And um, she said that her husband, I, well, I asked, where's your husband? Because she came without her husband. I said, where's your husband? She said, well, her husband's not really into this, and, you know, and uh, he, honestly, he used to be a Christian. I said, he used to be a Christian. What, what made him angry at God? What made him think that God is unfair and unjust? Because I know this is what takes 99% of people out of church, God, some accusation. Well, she said, well, he got, he's a Christian. He was a Christian businessman. And he got cheated in business. And she said, would you believe all these guys who cheated him, they were Christian businessmen. And he couldn't understand it. He couldn't understand it. Pastor Steve asked a pastoral question. I said, may I ask you something? She said, sure, go right ahead. Can I ask if your husband tithes? Oh, she drew a long breath of silence. And she said, no, I, I don't think he does. I said, well, then you have your answer, don't you? If he ever wanted to know, if he's, very, if he's serious about knowing why it happened, I said, when he stops cheating God, then other people will stop cheating him. You see, but if you listen to the story, wow, God's the meaning. God's bad. God's so unfair. But when you get the rest of the story you realize God's left everybody to themselves. You choose your life. You choose what you sow. You choose what you reap a lot of the times. I'm not saying everything is all sowing and reaping, but this is one of the principles. It's one of the main principles of life is what do we sow, what do we reap? And so I said, if your husband ever asks you, rather than saying, you know, the trip was great, and she's trying to tell all these testimonies, and I said, you're not scratching where it itches. 
You're not scratching where it itches. And I said to her, I, because we're there climbing together, I, I can get physical over there. Here, probably you get sued. But I just, I just grabbed her, and I just, I just start scratching her arm or something like that. I said, imagine you're, you're not itchy there, and I scratch you. How do you feel? She said, well, I, I would want you to get away from me. I said, that's right. And I said, what if your, your back, your shoulder is, is itchy, and I scratch you? She said, oh, wow, that feels good. She was actually itchy over there. She said, oh, that's good. They'll do some more. And I said, well, you need to find where your husband itches. And you keep telling him all these testimonies about how worship is great and this thing is great and she's very into dreams and visions. So every day she sees Jesus somehow, but they're not real visions, they're just really imagination. It's constantly going on about her dreams and Jesus said this and I saw that and I saw a banana, I saw a burger and everything is Jesus everywhere. So I said, that's fine, I don't question that. Some people are more spiritual, that's fine but you're not giving your husband what he needs. He wants to know, why did he lose money? Why did his business fail when he thought he was faithful to God? You need to read Malachi chapter 3 to him, or get him to read it. Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? God answers, in tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse. Listen, you are cursed with a curse. It's the same language as Job. Did God curse the people who didn't tithe? No. It would be in the active tense. That's why English is so important. You need to learn passive tense, active tense. God never says, I made Job sick. God never said, if you don't tithe, I will curse you. No. It says, you are cursed with a curse. Why? Because all the money in the world is already cursed. Everything from the soil up, Everything comes from the soil anyway. The entire planet is cursed. Do you realize that? So anything you bring out of the soil is already cursed. That's why we even pray before we eat. Why do we need to pray before we eat? Because everything we put in our mouth originated from a cursed land. And the Bible says, when we pray, all the fruit is sanctified by the word and by prayer. So the Bible doesn't say God curses the person who doesn't tithe and offer. The Bible says you're already living with the curse. It's kind of like if you get money from the mafia. It's already unsanctified. It's already cursed. How do you launder it? Well, tithing is God's laundering machine. God's money laundering system is tithing. Is that he says, well, spin 10% of it in. And the Bible says if the root is holy, then the rest of it is holy. If the first lump is holy, the rest of it is holy. So spin 10% in, I'll launder the rest of it for you. That's God's system. That's God's system. I have a whole sermon I need to do about how we're the criminals of the earth. We belong to the mafia. I hope you realize that. They're, they're, they haven't officially illegalized us yet, but we are the criminals of the earth. The Bible says when Jesus comes back, he comes as the thief in the night. We're all criminals in the eyes of the world. Everything we do, everything we believe is already. We believe in traditional marriage. They want that to be criminal. We believe in protecting our children. They think that's criminal. So you're already on this side. You might as well start laundering your money through tithing. <laughs> All right. I think I gave you a lot today. What do you think? I have one shot at you, so I'm going to pray, 
and then I want to tell you a few things that we brought because that's all the time we got so if we can do that let's all bow our heads please Heavenly Father we have given you the place of honor we believe your word your truth changes people's lives if there's anyone here father that has not encountered Jesus your son as the answer to their injustice and pain and suffering I ask you to reveal your son Jesus to them right now I ask you Lord to help them to move out of the darkness out of the traditions and the things that clinged on to and and brought so much pain in their life and move them towards the kingdom if you think that's you today and you feel like you really need Jesus in your life Jesus is the answer for you and he will help save you out of your sins and out of your troubles I want you to say yes by saying please pray for me okay that's just one raised hand nice and high so I can see please pray for me thank you thank you okay anyone else yep yep okay and this may be a first time decision or this may be just a rededication that's fine praise God okay a few people all right, so while you're in your seat, I want you to pray this, this prayer of dedicating your life to God, and God will answer this. Your life will never be the same, never be the same, but pray this loud enough that you can hear your own voice, okay? All the church, let's do this together. So dear Heavenly Father, I'm so sorry for judging you, for calling you unjust, for questioning your goodness. Man is not good but God is good. I repent and I surrender to you. I thank you that you love me so much. You sent your son Jesus to die for my sins. He suffered on the cross and on the third day he rose again from the dead. I open my heart. I invite you in. Please be enthroned be my Lord, my King. Save me. Use my life. From this day forward, make me an agent of justice. Make me a just parent, just spouse, just son or daughter, a just child of God. Use my life and empower me with the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name I pray, amen, amen. Praise God. Well, if you prayed that for the first time, the Bible says that you're born again, like you get a brand new start to life. Please make sure you get a Bible and keep coming to church. Before we go, I'm going to mention a few things, and, and then I think there's worship. So uh, the story about Buddhism, if you're interested in that story, is in Buddha to Jesus, from Buddha to Jesus. And we felt led to bring the Hebrew version. I have this in about eight or nine languages. So we brought the Hebrew, which is very rare. We might have three copies left in all of Australia. So it's very valuable. There's a Hebrew version. But why did we bring the Hebrew? Because the Jews, they would never confess Jesus. You know that, right? Like if they're a traditional Jew and you say, I went to church, like your family can disown you. But if you say, I went backpacking to Thailand, Burma, Cambodia, and I went to a Buddhist temple and meditated, that's no problem. Isn't that weird? And there are many, many Jewish backpackers who are interested in Buddhism, and they're called Boo-Jews. Boo-Jews, yeah. And there are a lot of Aussies who decorate 
our homes or our gardens, not my home, but anyway, their homes, with Buddha statues and Buddha paintings, and, and then we don't know how to answer that. That's called pluralism. When anybody says to you, all religions are the same, every path is good, will lead to the same place, they believe in Buddhism. And this will answer it. Okay, so that's in many languages. We got it in Chinese, we got it in French, I don't know how many other ones. We got them all, and, and Amazon, if we run out, you can go to Amazon. Um, the one about Trump, I want you to uh, look at this one because this is what will change the nation. This is not about Trump, but we use Trump because he was called to be an agent of justice. The subtitle is called uh, Trump's Unfinished Business, 10 Prophecies to Save America. These are 10 biblical agendas that would save Australia. If you know anyone in power, if you can get this to Pauline Hanson and make her read it, anyone that, that is fighting for freedom, these are the 10 things that biblically God wants us to do if we ever got power and I helped a lot of people down in I wouldn't say a lot I helped a few people down in Melbourne over the past 20 years of being a pastor 23 years being a pastor down in Melbourne and what I found out is when Christians get into power they act no differently than the world and this was really disappointing because we spent a lot of time campaigning helping leafleting praying and we found out there was no theology of justice there's no framework at all to act any differently than the world. And so this is the template for how, if we all got power, what are we supposed to do? If you were made the, the head of the Reserve Bank, what are you gonna do? If you were ma made Minister of Education, what are you gonna do? And the answer from, uh, I'm just gonna say it, I won't do a survey today, but the answer from 80% of the churches up into is everybody would just stop abortion. That seems to be the only thing that we agree on in the area of justice. We don't say, well, we need to pray for mercy and blessing on all the abortionists. We don't say that, any, right? We don't say that because we know that would be making peace with evil. We don't do that. But what about all the other areas of society that we are now losing a grip on? So that's what this book is about. It's, you know, almost 10 different books into one. And I, there are other books. I won't talk about it. And there are a bunch of DVDs. I really would wish that we don't take any DVDs back because the DVDs are like today they will explain a lot faster and easier a lot of my teachings. This one's called Punishments and Rewards. Ever heard a pastor do a teaching on punishments and rewards? Punishments and rewards that express God's justice. There are 12 of these. So, some of them are in other series, but I'll just read to you, okay? See if you're interested. This is four out of the 12. The highest level of faith. The tyranny of emotions. Raising children in the end times. Ten tests of justice, how to handle people who mistreat you. All of these are justice issues. Parenting is a just, justice issue, isn't it? You're, you, are, you are the judge. You know, every time there's conflict in the house, court is in session. Bring the evidence. Isn't it? And they we're not taught how to do it. How are you supposed to do it? The tyranny of emotions. We're under the, the, the tyranny and the dictatorship of emotions now. And they've made psychology, you know, another God. And I don't, don't mind if you're a psychiatrist, psychologist, all that, but that's not God. Now they're saying if the psychiatrist signs off, any child in Australia can get uh, transgender surgery or hormone. So what have you done? You've elevated psychology and psychiatry above God. The tyranny of emotions. As long as we're just going to all be emotional people and everything is about mental health, 
All I hear is mental health. What about spiritual health? What about eternal health? Is it all mental? No. But we, we live under the tyranny of everything is, is going to be ruled by psychology and psychiatrists. And we never gave them that power. You can help us through talk therapy. That's what it's supposed to be. You, you talk, get your feelings out, understand yourself. But now it's become higher than law. I've been in court cases where judges defer to the psychologist. You get a psychologist's report, it's higher in authority than the law. The tyranny of emotions. Okay? So that's why I deal with these issues, because I think we won't, ha we won't see Australia saved without dealing head-on with issues that are biblical, but we just choose to hide it. We just don't want to see it. It's in the Bible. Amen? All right, so all those things are there. And any questions? Pastor, maybe you, you're... Uh, it's, I'm done.